You're listening to the Immortal Icons of Dance podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Johnson. In today's episode, we'll be learning about Jerome Robbins. Jerome Robbins grew up in Weehawken, New Jersey, the son of Polish immigrants. As a college student during the Great Depression, he was unable to afford to continue his education at NYU, so he turned to performing as a source of employment. He became an apprentice with Senya Glucksander's Dance Company. Glucksander had performed on Broadway and in vaudeville. Robbins spent three summers working at Camp Tamament, a mountain resort featuring a performance troupe that put on new musical reviews each week. It was here that he began testing the waters of creating theater. When Robbins was 34, he booked his first Broadway role in the chorus of Great Lady. The following years, he was cast in Stars in Your Eyes and Keep Off the Grass. At age 36, he joined Ballet Theater, the company now known as American Ballet Theater. His portrayal of the tragic character Petrushka earned him great attention. In 1944, at the age of 40, he choreographed his first work for ballet theater, titled Fancy Free. This ballet featured three sailors on shore leave. It was a huge success, and very quickly, the 30-minute ballet was adapted into a full-length Broadway production titled On the Town. Robbins had captured in movement uniquely American mannerisms, sentiments, and ideals. His star was on the rise, and he began choreographing and eventually directing all over Broadway. His early shows included Billion Dollar Baby, High Button Shoes, and Look Ma, I'm Dancing. In 1949, at age 45, he wrote a letter to George Balanchine, the artistic director of the New York City Ballet. Robbins asked to come work with Balanchine in any capacity that he saw fit, whether as a performer or a choreographer. Balanchine quickly invited him to join the company, and soon after, Robbins was named the associate artistic director. Robbins danced several roles in the repertoire, including Prodigal Son and Bure Fantasque, but he retired from performance around 1956 and focused on choreographing for the ballet and for Broadway. Some of his important ballets of the 50s include The Concert, Afternoon of a Fawn, and The Cage. His Broadway work in the 50s included Miss Liberty, Call Me Madam, Rodgers and Hammerstein's The King and I, Two's Company, The Pajama Game, Peter Pan, Bells Are Ringing, and of course, West Side Story. After West Side Story, Robbins left New York City Ballet for a time and formed his own company, Ballets USA. He toured with that company and continued his work on Broadway. In the 1960s, Robbins worked on hits such as A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Funny Girl, and Fiddler on the Roof. In the late 60s, Robbins returned to New York City Ballet and continued to create masterpieces such as Dances at a Gathering and Glass Pieces. In 1989, he directed and choreographed an anthology show titled Jerome Robbins' Broadway. This brought together all the highlights of his 60-year Broadway career into one production. During his career, Robbins won five Tonys, two Academy Awards, one Emmy, and was also the recipient of the Kennedy Center Honor. On the evening of his death, the lights of Broadway were dimmed for a moment in tribute. With such a long and expansive career, we'll need to talk to many people who knew him in different capacities at different points in his life to really get to know him well. 
Today, we're going to start by talking to a dancer who began working with Robbins towards the end of his career. Our guest today started working with Robbins in 1988 in preparation for the show Jerome Robbins' Broadway. Before I tell you more about our guest today, though, I want to take a moment to thank Amanda Vale, an author who has studied Jerome Robbins very carefully. This introduction I wrote is based on a longer and more detailed bio that she wrote, which you can find on the Jerome Robbins Foundation website. It took me a long time to distill it down, so I know that it took her much longer to research and write it. So thank you, Amanda, for doing that research and making it available to us all. Our guest today is Marianne Lamb. She's also had a long career on Broadway. At seven years old, she saw the movie Summerstock, which starred Gene Kelly and Judy Garland, and it was then that she knew she wanted to be on Broadway. At 16, she danced as a showgirl in Las Vegas in Greg Thompson's Follies. In 1982, at age 23, she booked her first Broadway show, Song and Dance. Over the next three decades, she performed in 10 more Broadway shows, including Starlight Express, Carrie, Jerome Robbins' Broadway, The Goodbye Girl, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Chicago, Fosse, Susicle, Curtains, and The Visit. Marianne also performed in eight productions at New York City Center in their Encore series. She has also starred in off-Broadway and regional productions. You can even spot her in a few movies like Chicago and Rock of Ages, just to name a few. Marianne stays active in the theater community, choreographing for a theater and television, and passing on what she knows to the next generation. She's an adjunct professor at Western Connecticut State University and she's a teacher for the Verdon Fosse Legacy. She also teaches master classes at Steps on Broadway, Broadway Dance Center, and Perry Dance. I first met Marianne when I took a Verdon Fosse Legacy class from her, and I was captivated by the story she told of working with Jerome Robbins, Anne Rankin, Gwen Verdon, Cheetah Rivera, and many more. I really hope that you enjoy our conversation today of her experience working with Jerome Robbins. All right. Today on the podcast, we're here with Marianne Lamb. She's had a very extensive career on Broadway. She's worked with a lot of different legendary dancers and choreographers. And we're going to talk about Jerome Robbins. Um, could you tell me what was the audition process like when you were auditioning for Jerome Robbins' Broadway? I have to say that I had a very different audition process than the 62 people that auditioned for Jerome Robbins. Mm -hmm. not, not just me, but it was Scott Wise, Charlotte Dumois, Joy McNeely and I had a very different audition process. Jerome had been auditioning for a year to, to work for Jerome Robbins. Mm -hmm. And he wanted a cast around 60, like a ballet company, right? And, um, the four that I just mentioned, Charlotte Dumbois, Scott Wise, Joy McNeely, and myself, were all over in London doing the show Carrie. And Carrie was a very interesting musical because it was half um, British actors and half American actors. And part of the contract was that we would play in London, in England, and then we would come and play in the United States. And when we opened in the Shakespeare Company, it was a big flop. 
Carrie was a huge flop. Hmm. And so when they announced that we were going to New York, we were like in shock. You know, we were like, you're bringing this to New York? But, but you know, that was the contract. Yeah. So we opened, we ran Carrie, which was the craziest, one of the craziest shows I've ever did. And, um, and actually we opened on a Thursday and we closed on a Sunday. So it was a very quick run. Uh-huh. And I, on that Thursday before opening, I remember getting a call from my agent asking me on Monday morning if I could go in to audition for Jerome Robbins Broadway, mm -hmm. that he was, this was one of his last auditions. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. So the four of us, after we closed on Sunday night, were at 10 o'clock in, uh, you know, we went to 890 and we were auditioning for Jerome Robbins. And I'll never forget this because, um, you know, we were very intense. I was very nervous and very intense and just wanted to please, mm -hmm. please, please, you know. And he was going through the, the combination. I, oh my goodness. I, knew. I actually, what was it, 1988. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm in my, um, it was a perfect time for me to work with Jerome. I'm probably in my like 28, okay. I'm thinking, uh -huh. like 20, somewhere around there. Because mm -hmm. uh, I got married in song and dance and then i did starlight express then i did carrie this is so this is great after that mm -hmm. so i must be like 28 okay 29 i'm thinking that somewhere around there which was a great age to work with them and i'll explain to that later mm -hmm. but we went in there and it was really interesting he was showing us these combinations and we were learning and we were learning the combinations and then he said to me he's like okay that's good and I'm like, wait, I didn't do it. Like I never full out did the combination. I just learned it from him. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my goodness, I must have not got it. And I was devastated because, yeah. you know, Charlotte was asked to stay later and Sam got wise and, and Joey, I don't, I don't remember what happened with Joey, but I was literally like, wait, I am not, I never did it. Like we never performed it. So then I walk home, I'm walking home and my agent calls me and says, oh, you just booked Jerome Robbins Broadway. And he was wondering if you would do three months of pre-pro. Wow. And I was like, yes. Oh I was like God. in shock. I'd never been in shock before. And of course, years later, being older, more experienced in the business, I realized that he didn't care except how I worked with him. He didn't care about me performing. He didn't expect me to look like opening night, even though he does when you're working with him. But all that he cared really about was how I was in the room. Mm -hmm. And that was a big lesson because you realize you're, as soon as you step in that door, you're auditioning. So how was he in the room during that three month rehearsal process? What, what was the atmosphere like? Well, one thing, the atmosphere, we did three months of uh, pre-pro, six months of rehearsal, three months of previews, and then we opened. Mm -hmm. So by the time you opened, it was almost a year. Wow. I mean, it's a long process. And I remember getting in there and you never knew how you were cast, what you were doing every day. You would walk in and he would just have you start 
dancing phase. Mm -hmm. And you would just dance them. And he would change them, and then you'd dance that. And it was a very intense process with him because he did not give a lot of information. But one thing that was about Jerome that I'll never forget, no one was a better actor in the roles than Jerome Robbins. Mm -hmm. He would show us what he wanted. His acting was extraordinary. And he expected you to work as internally as he did. And, and not just external, but internal work was dance. Mm -hmm. To him, dance was acting. And so that I learned right away, because he would demand it from you. It was very demanding. And you never knew if he liked you or didn't like you. You knew when he didn't like you, <laughs> absolutely. And then when we started rehearsal, it was one of the most intense rehearsal processes I've ever been through. I'll give you some examples, but yeah. one thing, we were like a dance company, and so we were divided into three groups, and we had to take full ballet every morning. And then, and he actually fired like three people or four people the first like month. Wow. So right away, you're on your toes. You are nervous. So when you're going in, you are on point. And um, I remember dancing like the Charleston, and I'm not going to name names because I always think that's rude, mm -hmm. but I'm, we're, we're learning the Charleston and I'm not in it. But for some reason, I was asked to sit on the floor and watch. And this is, I watched, I mean, I really was watching everything, but I just was, you know, thinking, oh, maybe I'm going to be an understudy. I don't know. I don't want to be in anyone's way. And then all of a sudden he was like, you, Mary, get up. And the first thing he replaced Joanne Hunter all of a sudden, come Joanne, and he replaced one of the girls in the, in the three flappers in the Charleston. Mm -hmm. And then I watched Joanne jumping in there, like, and Joanne Hunter, I, you know, who's a brilliant choreographer now, is one of those brilliant-minded girls that just can pick up anything. Mm -hmm. And sitting on the floor, she can pick up every step. I'm not that. Uh -huh. I slowly peel the onion. And so all of a sudden, he was like, Land, get up here. And, you, and he threw me in. And I'm like, ah. And I remember learning it. And he snapped and looked at me and he said, do I have to wait until opening night until you get this? Now, Charleston is one of the first things we learned. Mm -hmm. So I have six months. And you know, we didn't know we were going to do like two months to three months of previews. So I have months before opening. And all I could think of was, I'm literally just thrown up here. I am. And while you're doing that, he still has the girls dancing right behind you. Uh -huh. Or he could switch you out at any time. So that was a world that was tense. It was a very tense time. And it kind of reminded me of my, one of my very first jobs I ever had was through modern dance and that company work where you're not, everyone's cast and you don't really know who's cast. And it's not like Broadway where you, when you stepped into a show, you know exactly what you're doing. Um, company work is different like that. So I do remember that I at least have that underneath my belt. Mm -hmm. I've read and heard that at least in the ballet that he would have a version A, a B, a C, would expect yeah. you to remember all of them. Did he still work that way on Broadway? He did. He actually did during pre-pro. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and, and all of a sudden he would cut one of your numbers and you didn't even know it was cut, you mm -hmm. know? I mean, it was very interesting. I think the, and I, you know, I, I, I'm so happy that I worked with him at the age I worked with him because 
I was so open. I wasn't so young that I didn't understand. And I wasn't too old to not be that old dog learning old new tricks. Yeah. I was, he, it took me a while to figure out that he wanted you to bring internal work um, equal to external work. As a young dancer, we always are trying to work external. But with his process, no, the internal is more important than the external. And I learned that when I was doing Scherzo, he made Joy McNeely and I do the opening of Scherzo. I would say we did it for 45 minutes until the staffs, the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And we, for some reason, he was never pleased. He was not pleased with the, how we entered and how I entered. And finally, it was, I couldn't even deal with it anymore. In front of everyone, I started to cry. And he said, now I have you where the entrance of um, Scherzo starts. Hmm. And I was like, okay. He one time said something to me that changed my life. He said, you don't touch the pool to feel the temperature. You dive in, Marianne. And it's important to first feel the water. So you know if it's safe to dive in, if it's, you know, how to approach the pool. Mm. And I was like, he was right, you know, because I have a, I'm hyperactive. I'm a, uh, and I just wanted to please so much, I would just dive in. And yeah. I didn't have a lot at that time, a lot of acting training. Mm -hmm. I had some, because as soon as I came into New York, I knew that I had to study acting. So I was, you know, and through my entire career, I never stopped taking acting classes because of him. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, it, it was a new process for me. So I started realizing that dance is internal, not external. It's external in the classroom, of course, our learning choreographer, but as soon as you step to perform, it's internal work. Yeah. And, and I've heard you me. say that in class. Yeah. And you've said the exact same thing. Yeah. Be sure to visit the show notes of this episode to find additional resources. Just look for the episode description, then click on it to reveal more information. There, you'll find links to performance videos of our Immortal Icon of the Week or our Guest of the Week. You'll also find additional interview videos and any books or documentaries that can elaborate on the topics we cover in the episode. What is um, something that Jerry would say in pre-pro or rehearsals or uh, an ism that's like, oh, you know Jerry's in the room when you hear it? No, you knew Jerry was in the room as soon as you felt the room heightened. I mean, he had that power. He would walk in and you could feel the whole, everyone, you could feel the energy lift. The thing about Jerry is you never marked, ever. You never marked. You give Jerry a hundred percent. And what was interesting about doing Jerome Robbins is that I was lucky because I also got to be in the room with him, not just with big dance numbers, but I did God Have a Gimmick and I got to do the little acting scene with um, Faith Prince, Debbie, um, uh, oh my goodness, uh, I'll remember her name just a minute, and Suzanne Fletcher and Debbie Gibson. Oh, Debbie she won the Tony for the show. I'll remember in just a minute. But there are three brilliant genius actresses. Mm -hmm. I mean, really powerhouse musical theater actresses, but also straight actresses and great talents. 
And I got to be in the room with him developing and working with actors and how he, he internally act and taught, um, directed as a, a director, not just as a choreographer. Mm -hmm. So that was thrilling and it changed the way I approached my work also. Mm -hmm. Did he ever compliment you? Is there one that stands out? No, I don't ever remember, but I knew he liked me because he put me in numbers mm -hmm. and you knew that. Unspoken compliments. Yeah. And, and the only time I remember Jerry um, giving me any kind of compliment is when I was at Barnes & Noble. I had a, a young baby um, years later. Uh, what show did I have, Connor? Oh, funny thing happened the way to form. And Jerry saw everything. I mean, that's one thing. Jerry Robbins saw every show on Broadway and off Broadway and every ballet. He saw everything. Uh -huh. And so even like when I thought, wow, oh, he didn't even know me when he cast me in Jerome Robbins, I realized, no, he probably saw the four shows before I got mm -hmm. Robbins. You know, he saw everything. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't like a surprise to him. But one time I ran into him on the street and I had left Jerome Robbins and, um, and he said to me, I miss you in the show. That's, and I said, I missed the show. That's all that was said. And the other thing is I had a baby and I was on Barnes and Noble on the floor and someone came up and picked up my baby. And I looked up and it was Jerry. And Jerry was playing with my son wow. Connor. And one thing that Jerome loved, he loved dogs and animals and children. He loved them. And I remember him just glowing when he was playing with Connor. And then he had, and he goes, you're very lucky, he said, and he handed my son. I mean, little things like that, you know, but he, he was tough. You know, like I told you, he made me cry. I cried several times with him. Yeah. You know, it, he, he was tough, but he changed me as a, an actress. What did you take from your experiences with him through your career as a performer and now as a teacher? 100% storytelling. When it comes to musical theater, your responsibility is move the story forward, period. That's 100%. And if you don't know your history before you step on that stage, you shouldn't be on stage. Mm -hmm. And that's the part with Jerry was, you had to make up your own history. Even if you had one little part, we had to know who you are. We had to know every detail. And with Jerome Robbins, we played many parts. So the demand of researching all those shows to play, even if you never spoke or if you're on number 16, he saw everybody. And what was amazing about working with Jerome, and I felt this when I got to play anybody's, um, when he was doing some um, reconstruction with Westside, is that he knew every inch of West Side, every line. He knew what it meant, every note. And um, I was, and I always tell this story because I was having a hard time getting into um, anybody's. And I kept on kind of playing masculine, you know, trying to play a guy. And he said, no, you don't have to do any of that. You know, and I remember he goes, he said, um, and I think he was trying to get me to understand anybody's. And he said, anybody's is me. I was a young gay boy, you know, growing up in New Jersey and an outcast. And I'll never forget that because he could identify 
with every character in that show. You know, he knew the past, the history, you know, their entire life. And he said something that was really important. So I, I kept this throughout my entire career is that even auditioning, the steps are not good enough. I never forget. He said, how do you feel a number? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. What does a five feel like? And you're like, yeah, I don't know. No one. That's an abstract thought. That's not going to help you, but you can feel music and you can feel what you want and who you're dancing for and why you're out on that stage. And that's when, so even when I was wrong and I would make huge choices, not, I hate that word choices. I never made a choice. I always try to figure because choices, we don't make choices in life. I'm not making a choice right now. How I'm going to do this interview, uh -huh. but I know what I want when I'm doing the interview. Mm -hmm. I know how I want to come across. Mm -hmm. So, and I know what I want from you. So that is what I started figuring out. So when I would audition, I made these, this, I, I always thought, what do I want? How do I feel this music? And when my name was called, when it was my turn, to, I didn't worry as much as making mistakes. I, I was, I, from the minute they called my name, I wanted to be how I, the history of the character that, that I was developing. Mm -hmm. How do I feel this music? What does this choreography make me feel? Because he said something so important to me, to all of us. It's our responsibility as a performer to pull yourself to someone else's lyrics, someone else's words, and someone else's steps as honest as you can in a situation that's make-believe. And you know what? Nothing's harder than that. Yeah. Be honest in someone else's work, someone else's words, someone else's lyrics. I mean, that's, almost, that's the challenge. And we, the audience, that's what they're paying for. And as soon as he said that, I was like, oh. And he said something else that I will never forget. He said, we dance every day. And I was like, what? I mean, at first I didn't understand it. But when you want something, you, you vocalize it. And then you scream about it when you don't get it. And then you get physical. So he said, the more you internalize your need and you want more, you get more physical and that's dance. But it's all the same thing. And he says, you watch a couple in New York Street and they're getting, first they're talking and they start yelling and they start pushing each other. That's dance. He goes, you see it every day. And that changed how I approached. Because it's hard for me to just think a pot of gray now is a pot of gray. If you like the work that is being done here at Immortal Icons of Dance, there are many ways you can support. Most simply, you can follow us on Instagram, at Immortal Icons of Dance. By following us on Instagram, you'll also get access to the photos that we post each week that correspond with the episode. You'll find photos of our guest in some of the productions that they talk about. It would also be great if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you listen. Five stars are always appreciated. If you prefer watching your podcasts rather than listening to them, you can find the video of each episode on our YouTube channel. Lastly, did you know we have merch? We love talking about immortal icons of dance, but we really love wearing them. I think it's so special to walk into a dance rehearsal wearing one of your role models on your shirt. It just gives you an extra boost of inspiration. You can find the merch at shop.immortaliconsofdance.com.
Do you have a favorite piece of work of Jerome Robbins's? Yeah, whether by far. The oh. cage. The cage, the cage, the cage, uh -huh. the cage. I mean, there's nothing like it. What you know, cast and did you I saw, see? I saw um, Wendy. Oh, yeah. And I have to tell you, I, I didn't even know, because I worked with Jerome before I saw it. I didn't know that that's the artistic, uh, how deep he went. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew he was funny. He was brilliant. He's, I know that he's a genius, that people, you know, and that he was tough. He was very tough to work with. But the depth of that, I was it blew me away. Hmm. You know, I just, you know, I looked at something as funny as Charleston, you know, and kooky, and like you said, um, he, the audience would just laugh to something like The Cage. Yeah. You're just like, whoa. Join us back here next week, where we'll continue our conversation with Marianne. We'll hear about her experiences working with Anne Ranking, Gwen Verdon, and even Cheetah Rivera. See you then! The Immortal Icons of Dance podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, Lauren Johnson. Our music is written by Shelby Rassler of Jenkins & Rassler. Technical support is generously provided by Libby Lessenhop.